Thanks, Brian. Great to see everybody today. We are continuing uh, in our short series called Fully Alive. In this series, we are kind of refocusing uh, on our purpose, our, mi- our mission, our vision, our objectives through the lens of looking at some passages in Ephesians and, as well as the book of Acts. So we're going to go there in a few minutes, but first just want to recap uh, some of these concept, co- concepts with you. Bethany Church's purpose uh, is this. We exist to be fully alive, making Christ Jesus known from our communities to the world. Fully alive. So if we're fully alive, if we've experienced salvation, if we've experienced the good news of Jesus transforming us, it's natural for us and it's normal for us to make Christ Jesus known all over from our communities to the world. Secondly, our mission. Our mission is this. We lead those apart from God to come alive by finding their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and follow him together. So we're leading those who are, who are apart from God, far away from God, and yet God is working in their lives even then, drawing them to himself, and we're helping uh, by making Bethany Church and Jesus accessible to people. We're not, a, we're not a country club, but we lead other people into the church to be part of the body of Christ. Our vision, we see a church fully alive and international. So multiple backgrounds, multiple ethnicities, engaging other cultures. And intergenerational, glorifying God through multiplication, unity, and maturity. We covered unity last week. We're going to look a little bit at that again today as well as maturity. So we pursue unity in the way that we conduct our church and experience life in the church. And here's the thing. We pursue unity within the reality that we're not uniform, but we are each encouraged to function within God's calling and gifting on our life. We're diverse. We're different. We each have different gifts. We're not the same, but we can function in unity. And we prioritize unity in our faith experience for a number of reasons. First, it's, it's paramount for God's overall plan for bringing everything together under the authority of Christ. Ephesians 1.10 puts it this way. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. We also prioritize unity because it's a reflection of the oneness and unity of God. See, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's perfect unity in the Trinity. One God, three distinct persons. We see unity. So how do we help the church be all that God intends for the church to be? We're going to take a look at that today in, in Ephesians as well as the book of Acts. If I could get a couple of volunteers just to pass out the red Bibles for those of you that might need them, that would be great uh, at this time. Thank you. You can also open the Bible on your Bible app. Very convenient way to follow along as well. So, Think about this for a second. Do you believe that Jesus wants to do some amazing things through you, through you and through Bethany Church, some amazing things? Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Do you feel like a masterpiece today? Do you feel like you are just ready to go, equipped? You are God's masterpiece to make an impact For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
Not only that, but God has done this. He's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think about or imagine. And he's able to do this through his power that's at work within us. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you believe that? That resurrection power is in you if you're a follower of Jesus by the presence of his spirit? So what things does God want to do through us today, this week, this year, by his mighty power working in us? Let's check out Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 13. If you've got a red Bible, that's page 979. Go ahead and stand with me as we read from the book of Ephesians this morning. Beginning at verse 7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Please go ahead and take a seat. So we're going to be mature in the Lord. We're going to experience unity We're going to know Jesus. We're going to grow into maturity to the full and complete standard of Christ. When I started out in college, I thought, hey, I want to get a part-time job. I need some extra money. School's expensive. It'd be nice to have some spending money as well. I got a job that I thought was going to work out really well. It was before school. It was early in the morning. It was with the groundskeeping crew at, at the school I was attending. So day one on the job, really good time. Loaded a, a wheelbarrow full of sod, and I am laying brand new grass sod all over the campus by some new buildings that were built. It was good exercise. It wasn't rocket science. I had a great time. Day two, I was on a, a riding lawnmower. Okay, you know the kind, I, I see Sod Squad using those uh, from time to time. It's got a whole bunch of levers and things like that, and I'd never used it before, didn't have any training on it, but... Of course, it would be simple to use. So I got on that thing and uh, was bumping around into fences and trees and things like that. Started to get a clue that maybe I wasn't cut out for this job. Day three, recruiting trees. I have a step ladder. Put the step ladder up. I'm up using shears. Then I get different kind of shears that are kind of like a chainsaw and get that fired up. And I drop it as I'm going up one of the stairs on there. So at that point, I'm thinking this might not be such a good idea. I'm going to walk away with all four limbs while I can, and I can tell Sod Squad's taking notes, and I'm not going to be welcome anytime soon. So from there, I got a different job. Uh, another job opened up in the business office. I worked in student accounts as an assistant to the accounts receivable coordinator, and it was great. It suited me much better. I got to talk to disgruntled parents all the time on the phone. It was a lot of fun. I did much better there. And here's the point. We're all unique. We all have different gifts. We're all empowered in a different Way And God has uniquely empowered you and gifted you for the welfare of the church, of his body. Verse 7 says this, If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given a special gift through the generosity of Christ. A 
a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Think about this for a minute. If you're a Christian right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, at one point, you were apart from God. You were not a follower of Christ. You were separated from God because of your sin. But then you were given the capacity to turn from your sin. God was calling to you and, and, and drawing you to himself. And he changed your heart. And your heart opened up. And you were able to see and believe and respond in faith and accept the gift of salvation through Jesus. And then you were given the privilege of serving this God who saved you. Just think about how tremendous this actually is when you think about it. That we were apart from God. Now we've been saved and given the privilege of serving him. And to top it off, he's actually equipped us and gifted us to do that. And he's done that in a unique way. Other translations say it this way. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. As Christ apportioned it. So no one has all the gifts uh, required for the body of Christ. Rather, the gifts of others supplement your own gifts. And it all works together perfectly in a larger body of Christ. It's the working together of each part that produces unity, growth, and maturity. And we really don't have to compare our gifts with other people because Christ has apportioned it exactly how he wants. Of course, he's going to equip you and grow your gifting, but each of our giftings is unique and separate. Well, we just came through a great time of gift giving at Christmas. Many of you participate in that way as we celebrate God's great gift to us. We give gifts to others. And I've got a great family. Um, my wife knows me very well. She she gives great gifts. My extended family gives great gifts. But if I'm being completely honest, I have to say that sometimes I have other thoughts when I open gifts, whether at Christmas or other times. Sometimes when I open a gift, the first thought, depending on what it is, is, is there a gift receipt with this gift? Other times I open the gift and I think, how many white elephant parties have been invited to? Am I going to be able to put this one to use? Another time... I think, where can I donate this? I've got a few places I like to give clothing and other items. Um, I'm looking at this gift, comparing it with others, not maybe wanting it. Now, that's not the way it is for us as followers of Jesus. We don't need to compare our gifts. We don't need to discard gifts. Every gift Jesus gives us is to be put to use and is unique and is necessary for the whole body's health. So we're given grace from Jesus, one or more spiritual gifts to everyone who's a follower of Jesus. Anybody here enjoy um, orchestra, symphony-style music? It's very relaxing. I do, too. In my house, I heard a lot of this type of thing. My dad played the violin. My younger sister played the violin. My dad played in the city's symphony for a number of years. And it's, it's amazing. When you think about, if you look at this picture, there's so many musicians there. There's a choir. When they're all working together in unison, Playing the part that they're playing, it's beautiful, it's breathtaking. But here's the thing. If you're listening to some of these musicians practicing and they're not hitting the right notes or they're on their own, it can be the opposite. It can be an ear-splitting noise. And I love the violin, but sometimes listening to my family practice that beautiful instrument, I had to sometimes just leave the house. I mean, if, they, if it was going rough, it was going rough. And that's how it can be on our own with, with spiritual gifts. Sometimes we feel like we're gifted and we try to exercise that as a lone ranger. And we feel like this is going amazing. 
and others feel like this is a bit of a train wreck. But when we bring it into the when we bring it into the body, and we can be an encouragement, and we can complement each other, our gifts are put to use. We put our selfish selfish agendas away, and we can function within the body the way that it's meant to. So spiritual gifts are a beautiful thing for the church. Let's go back to the text and read verses eight through ten. It says this, That is why the scriptures say, When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. This is an interesting reference to Psalm 68, where David returns with the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem along with the spoils and treasures of war. Some of these go to the temple, others are given to the warriors as gifts. So Paul uses this picture to refer to Christ's ascent into heaven and pouring out and distributing spiritual gifts among his followers. It also mentions that Christ descended to our lowly world. It's a little confusing, there's a lot of different ideas as to what that means, but one of the really clear ones is as simple as it's Jesus' incarnation. He left heaven came to earth, added humanity to his divine nature, experienced what we did, became um, God in human flesh. It was a beautiful thing that he would come to earth, lay down his life for us. And when he ascends back up to heaven and pours out his gifts, by being in heaven, he's now accessible to everybody, to all people, everywhere, all the time. And that's Jesus' desire. His desire is that everybody would come to know him, put their faith in him, experience new life in him. And the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father makes that possible right now. If you're taking notes, write this down. A church growing in maturity embraces its gifts. It embraces its gifts. Nobody's dormant with their gifts. Nobody's putting them aside. We're all actively putting our gifts into practice for the good of the body. Verses 11 and 12 go on to list some of these gifts in terms of equipping. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. You can write down this too. Gifts equip and build up the church. See, Jesus has given gifts to the church for the purpose of equipping his followers for ministry and building up the body. Ephesians 2 reminds us how important this is. It says this, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So Jesus wants us to attain full maturity And he's equipped us. He's given us gifts. And we help and equip each other to walk in the fullness of that. But every member has to contribute to this process or we will be deficient in areas of growth. Sometimes I feel like we're scared to step out. We might have an inkling of how we're gifted or it's a fresh gift. um, But we haven't quite activated that or put it into practice or we're scared. Do you ever feel that way? I think a safe place to step out and explore your gifts can be in a smaller, meaningful uh, community, such as a connection group. In a group, in a connection group, you can have a variety of people, and if you like to teach and lead, 
you can do that. You can lead a group. If you um, just have a passion and a burden for prayer, intercessory prayer, a gift of mercy, rather than sitting in a larger gathering wondering what's going on and how you can be praying, you, in your group, you can be fervent in prayer for your group throughout the week as you share and connect on a more intimate basis in your connection group or your small group. It's a great way just to test things out and to see how things complement each other when we're all using our gifting. So if you're interested in, in getting more feedback from people, join a group, begin to serve and, and step out in faith as well. Verse 13 is very important as well. It says this, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. See, this, this word until in verse 13 indicates that the process in verse 12 must continue until a certain end is achieved. You see, believers must be unified. Believers need uni- unity in their faith, because that has to be maintained, but they also need unity of faith. We need to have a knowledge of God's Son, and this knowledge is a personal and experiential knowledge. It's a real relationship with Jesus Christ. So for those of us that have a real relationship, a saving relationship with Christ, we have this common unified bond. So do we have unity in those areas? Do we have unity around the area of spiritual maturity? When you think about spiritual maturity, it's not perfection, right? Perfection is not actually even possible this side of eternity, but spiritual maturity is observable by growth, by spiritual growth. Are we taking steps in the right direction? Oftentimes we think about this in terms of our own walk with God, but in the context here, it's talking about corporate spiritual maturity. Paul, earlier in his writings, talks about how Christ's death and resurrection brought together Gentile and Jewish and all, all people who would put their faith in Christ into one body. They've come together. They have different gifts. Together we build the body of Christ. So here in Ephesians 4.13, Paul is he's remembering this kind of mixture of like an architectural image and an organic image, and together it's the concept of corporate maturity in the body of Christ. So are we measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ through unity and maturity? Are we growing into Christ-likeness? To do that, we need to use our gifts we need to use our gifts. I've got a, an image here, um, kind of a concept of spiritual gifts. If you're unsure of what your gifts are, and you want to explore a little bit more about what the Bible has to say, there's a number of places you can look. You can go to Romans 12 for a list. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12. You can go to 1 Peter 4, and also the passage that we're looking at today, Ephesians 4. And here's the thing. There's a bunch of gifts listed. Some of them kind of match up. Others don't. They don't perfectly align, which indicates that these lists are likely not exhaustive. God, in his great creativity, has the ability to pour out a variety of unique spiritual gifts upon us. So if you don't feel like you can fit into the mold, there's still hope. Jesus has gifted you, and people, other people can help you identify what your gifts are. So each of us has a unique and important role to play. We have a unique and important role to play. If you need help figuring out what your role is or how you can live into the the mission of the body of Christ, it's a good idea to ask others who are close to you how they see you gifted. 
It could be very simple. You know, the people that are closest to you appreciate things about you uh, that maybe they don't always communicate, and they could have a really good idea of how you're gifted. You can also take an inventory, a spiritual gifts inventory, a personality test questionnaire. There's a number of tools that are helpful. If you'd like to explore that, I can help you find um, those inventories online. They're really helpful for kind of just getting things going and figuring out where you're at. You can also try serving in a variety of ways. If you make the babies cry in the nursery, no problem. We can find you another spot. There's multiple opportunities to serve. And I'm not just saying that because I have a child in the nursery. But it's, there's a variety of ways we can serve here at the church and in the community. Um, as we, as we kind of enter this exciting phase in our church's life, 75th anniversary we're celebrating next month. Um, and as we kind of recapture and refocus our vision on making Christ Jesus known to people that are away from God, that are apart from God. As we think about that, I think it would be helpful to look at a passage in Acts, Acts 2, because that's the early church. And that's a context where there was a bunch of new believers gathering together. So if we're moving into the future and we're going to have a mission and a focus on reaching people that are apart from Christ and people come to faith in Christ, we want to be equipped to disciple them and lead them into spiritual maturity. Let's take a look at Acts 2. That's five books to your left, right after the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in Acts 2, 42 to 47. While you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context for what's happening here in Acts. So at the beginning of the book of Acts, this is an exciting time. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's appearing to people. He's appearing to his apostles, and he's giving them many convincing proofs that he is indeed alive. Isn't that amazing? He's giving them not just one or two. He's giving them many convincing proofs that he is alive. So then Jesus, after spending some time with the apostles again, he ascends to the Father. He goes up to heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. All the believers are gathered together, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in other languages as the Spirit enables them. And then in that same context, there's Jews from all over the place, from different countries. They've gathered um, to Jerusalem, to the area there. They are there for um, festivals, for Pentecost. And they are witnessing this, and they can't believe it. They hear, they hear the believers telling them the wonderful things about God in their own native language. They are amazed. Others just think these people are drunk. They, they can't believe it. So Peter steps up, the Apostle Peter steps up, and he gives an explanation. He says, hey, this was predicted a long time ago by the prophet Joel. And then he tells the story and the plan of God, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then what happens next is... Phenomenal. I love this. Acts one thirty seven. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. I love that. Pierced their hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus, can you think about the time when uh, the message of the good news pierced your heart? For me, it was as a three or four year old child. For others, it might be when you were older, but it's all the same. Our hearts were opened to the truth of the good news and it, and it enabled us to respond in faith. And the people say this, what should we do? Peter makes it pretty plain and simple. This is what he says. Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And I love this part. He says this. This is for everyone. Not, Jew, not just Jews, but Gentiles. This is for everyone. So, interestingly enough, uh, this is kind of applicable for us in, in, in many different ways. One of which, we have baptisms next week. I'm excited about that. There's still time to, um, to get baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized um, upon the confession of your own faith, I'd love to chat with you and we'd love to have you get baptized next week. Um, the progression is this. Turn away from your sins. Have faith in Christ. Then be baptized. Then walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been avoiding baptism uh, maybe you feel like too much time has gone by. Maybe I should have done that when I was younger. Now I'm, maybe you just feel like, ah, I don't know, should I do this? Uh, maybe you're, um, maybe you're a young adult and you feel the pressure from others. Maybe your parents or others always saying, hey, are you gonna get baptized? You're gonna get baptized. You know, don't worry about that. If you're gonna get baptized, do it because of what Peter says. He says, believe in Jesus and then get baptized. It's a step of obedience. And then comes the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to be afraid of here. This is a great, great step of obedience. So if you have yet to be baptized, would love to meet with you and, and um, have baptisms next Sunday. So this is for us. This is for everybody. So 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And then we come to our selection that we're going to read right now in Acts 2, 42 to 47. I believe this is on the screen. If you have a red Bible, it's page 907. Here we go. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So these are new believers in Jesus. They've already been baptized. They've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. And they're devoted. We're talking about spiritual maturity. These are brand new Christians. They're already developing maturity. They're devoted. What are they devoted to? Well, it's pretty simple. They're devoted to this. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship. We like to use the word fellowship. We have a room back there called the fellowship hall. We enjoy experiencing fellowship in that room. The sharing of meals and prayer. These are the four essential elements of early church Christian practice. And I would suggest if we're interested in church planning, if we're interested in discipling new Christians, these could be some important things for us as well. Um, See, the apostles' teaching was important because they had been with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They were qualified for this. They were the guardians of the truth of Jesus' teaching. Fellowship. We throw around that, that word all the time. Some of you might be familiar with the Greek term here, koinonia, which means sharing in or causing to share in or even sharing in common. Um, sharing in common God's spirit as we experience the Spirit, we are, have a common bond as followers of Jesus. It's also used, this word is used um, in the sense of the collection and distribution of gifts to those who are in, in need as well. And then sharing in meals in the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. 
And finally, prayer. They all prayed. They prayed not just individually, they prayed corporately. We've got a variety of opportunities to do that here. We just did that last week with our multiple church gathering, a time of corporate prayer. It was great. The interesting thing here is that the Greek verb that governs all four of these essential activities is in the imperfect tense, which means it's kind of this idea of constant attention. Constant attention to all of these activities and not the least of these to prayer. So that, this is what the early believers did. They put their constant attention to these things. And prayer would be so important as the church launches out in the book of Acts. And Luke actually sees prayer, the author of Acts, Luke, as the way to measure the health of a church by the reality of their prayers. Let's go back to the text. Verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Can you imagine being there and witnessing these miracles and these signs and wonders, how that would affect your prayer life? You would be so um, bold and full of joy and assertive in praying. We kind of wish we were there. And yet, we have the same opportunity today. A number of us may have experienced a healing, a physical healing. Others of us are praying for ourselves or others. In that regard, we know God continues to heal. We've experienced the miracle of salvation, whether for ourselves or we've observed others coming to a real saving knowledge in Christ. Or maybe you've met someone on the mission field and they told you that they came to faith in Christ through a dream or a vision. See, God still works in these ways. And we can live our lives today with this deep sense of awe regarding God and his miracles. Now, the next section here is, is, is a bit tricky for us to comprehend in our culture. Verses 44 and 45 speak of sharing everything they had, even selling their property and possessions to share the money with those in need. Well, first of all, there's a little bit of context here. There was rampant poverty in that area during that uh, time. Secondly, what you had here was a situation of thousands of Jews that would have made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost. Now they've, some of them have come to faith in Christ. They've extended their stay, but their jobs are somewhere else. But they're all gathered together, and they, need, they have physical and financial needs. And so the, the community of believers is providing for this. So while there's context that helps us understand this, it doesn't just take us off the hook um, or give us a license to just explain this away. There's a principle here. The principle is this. We're not owners of our assets. God is the owner of our assets. We're the stewards of God's assets. And we can be just as sensitive today at how God might be calling us to meet needs and to be generous. If it makes you feel somewhat uncomfortable, it makes me feel uncomfortable too, but it's just a reminder of the various lenses that we often bring to Scripture. Two of these would be individualism and consumerism. Just by the fact that we live, we live where we do. And it's, it's the same in many other countries as well. So, um, let that sink in and let, let the Spirit speak to you regarding generosity. The next section here talks about gathering for worship. 46 and 47 says they worshiped at the temple and they met in homes. At the temple for a larger gathering and in homes for a smaller gathering. It was the everyday normal practice for Christians to have larger gatherings and smaller gatherings. In homes, they were celebrating the Lord's Supper, taking communion, 
They were also there presumably for fellowship, sharing uh, of needs, and prayer. They had real connection on multiple levels as a larger group and as a smaller group. They, they cultivated a real sense of community and a passion for God's word and prayer through this connection. So a church growing in maturity pursues meaningful connection. Many of you are there. Some of you might feel like it's time to revive a sense of connection in your life. Pastor Brian talked about the tree last week. Got a picture of a tree here. What we see here is we've got the strength of unity in the trunk of the tree. We've got multiplication in the branches. People are receiving the good news. People are being discipled. We're multiplying. The root system is spiritual maturity. And as we saw in Ephesians, spiritual maturity and unity comes by recognizing who we are in Christ and that we've been equipped with gifts to use to bless the body. And then just like our mission talks about, to make Christ known. That's the maturity uh, of Christ and that's the root system. Now, if you're looking for meaningful connection, I encourage you to check out a connection group. We've got some four-week connection groups beginning the last week in January. And it's a great opportunity to connect. You might have never tried something like this. That's okay. Uh, I encourage you to give it a shot. You might be interested in leading a group, but you might be thinking, "Ah, I don't know who's going to be in my group, and I don't really want to lead a group until I know. And I would just say, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be a great time. I remember when Jen and I had a group a number of years ago, it was an interesting group. We had one person show up to our group carrying a two-liter of Pepsi in their own cup. They sat down at our coffee table, and in an hour and a half, they drank a two-liter of Pepsi in their own cup. We had another person, they would randomly go out for smoke breaks during our, during our group meeting, and then someone else couldn't get my wife's name right throughout the whole uh, duration of the group. And you know what? We grew to love these people, and uh, they weren't all followers of Christ yet, but we were making it accessible for them. They were on a journey to opening their hearts to Jesus, Jesus was calling them to himself, and we had this great group that was accessible for them. And we experienced great community. And if any of you are here from that group today, I'd love to have you in my group again. Um, but I encourage you, check out, check out a group. It can be a safe place to grow in your faith. See, we're not just, we're not just cons- religious consumers. We're not just uh, taking in... Uh, podcasts and sermons and conferences without experiencing something tangible. We need safe places to grow in our faith and have meaningful connection. So my challenge to you is this. If you don't know what your gifts are, find out, ask for help, put them in the practice. We need your gifts. We need, we need it for the maturity of our body. The prayer team could pray with you about that after the service. It would be great. And also, are you connecting to a meaningful community in the church? where you can use your gifts, where you can test out your gifts, where you can have some depth of relationship. Join a connection group or another group today. And finally, if you're here and you think that your next step is simply knowing Jesus in a personal way, beyond just coming to church, checking out ministries from time to time, but you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to respond to the good news and know Jesus now and for eternity, I'd love to chat with you after the service. You meet with Brian or others as well. Let's go ahead and close in prayer this morning. God, we thank you for your great love for us, that you would send your son to die for us, to give us eternal life, to give us life to the full, a life that's fully alive now 
and for eternity. And God, I pray that you would help us to use our gifts for the maturity and the unity of the body. And God, I pray that you would give each of us the opportunity to connect in a meaningful way where Jesus is made accessible to those in our community that we're trying to reach. We pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.